0: We had Black Widow on our movie screens, Loki on our TV screens, and a lot to talk about today on the Geek Watch Podcast.
1: This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy
0: Greetings Geek Watchers and welcome to episode 116 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Hi, Brian. And we have a lot to talk about today, because we have Marvel weekend. This was a big Marvel weekend. Marvelous Marvels. Uh, Before we get to that, though, I did want to talk to you about something specifically, because this is something I've been thinking about since last week, because we talked specifically about reviews and how reviews can be counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about this a lot this week, and so... This is something I really do want to talk to you about. I don't necessarily want to pontificate about this. I really do want your opinion on this. But I'm about to say something I can't believe I'm about to say. Mm. I feel like reviews are really screwing up geek culture. And I realize how weird it is for me to say that because, of course, I've given a lot of TV and movie reviews on the podcast as well as doing movie reviews with Kevin Mm -hmm. and The Real Deal. So the irony of me saying something like this is not lost on me. But I've been giving a lot of thought about reviews and the way that they are done. And like I said last week, a lot of reviews are mostly opinions. They are, you know, people talking about what they like and what they don't like, which I don't have a problem with. Now, I do remember a movie reviewer on YouTube, John Campia, was talking about movie reviews and people getting upset about movie reviews they don't agree with. And the point that he made was, look, there's nothing to get upset about. This is just somebody's opinion. And when I first heard that, that bothered me because reviews shouldn't just be your opinion. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. just be about, do you like something or you don't like something? There's a structure to it. It's just like if you're doing a critique of somebody's manuscript, which as a writer I've done many times, it's not just about, I like this, I didn't like this. There's certain things about a movie or any work of art that you can talk about from an academic standpoint.
1: Well, like when you, you say the word critique, like when I think of a critique, I don't think of that as something of, I like this or I don't like this, is does this work? Because something could look really cool. That could look really neat. But to critique it and say, but this isn't going to work.
0: Right. There's a level of an authority when you talk about critiques or reviews. And and I think ultimately that's where movie reviews, television reviews, I think we run into a problem. Because people are talking about their likes and dislikes, but they're talking about them in an authoritative manner. In other words, Mm -hmm. because they didn't like something...
1: No one else should. Yeah. Well, and especially
0: because this didn't go the way they wanted it to go, they didn't see this particular thing, or a story did not resolve itself in a manner they wanted to see, it was wrong. And it was bad. It was bad, and it was Mm -hmm. wrong. Something I said last week is that, you know, if this is your opinion, it's your opinion. If you're doing a review, it's different. And I think that that line has been blurred mostly. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the big question, of course, is who am I to criticize the critics? What gives me authority to say how they should do anything? And the answer, ultimately, to me is I don't have any authority. Honestly, a lot of this I've been thinking about, and as far as an approach to critique, this is directed to me. I feel like many times what I've done is I have taken my opinions on certain things, and I have put an authority behind them. I'm just as guilty of basically taking my likes and dislikes and my preferences and turning them into an authoritative Commentary. I'm saying this specifically because if somebody else hears this and they go, well, maybe I should make an adjustment. Great. I think that's fine. This is more directed to me, I think, than anybody else because I've been as guilty as anybody of turning my preference into the law. And I want to, from this point forward, make a concerted effort not to do that anymore.
1: Although, quite honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing someone take a review video and then review that reviewer reviewing the a movie. <laughs>
0: review Inception. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, Bob here, he said this about the movie, and I don't think he uh, followed through and used his voice the way that he should. And look at the camera angle here. I mean, you can see straight up his nose. I would enjoy seeing that. (laughs) I would.
0: Well, like I said, most of what I wanted to do with this, I want to make an effort going forward to make it a point that you know, when I'm reviewing something, which we're going to be reviewing a couple of things today, but <laughs> when something is my opinion and it's my preference to be more demonstrative, when that's the situation where it's like, well this happened and I would have preferred it to be the other way that doesn't necessarily mean that the screenwriter did the wrong thing or the director did the wrong thing anything that's my personal preference I need to be more obvious that this is my personal preference in what I say in my reviews so
1: it's not something I really had thought about just kind of feel like when we speak on the geek watch I feel like everything we talk about is simply our opinions Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't really feel like we have this overpowering authority I think to me it's like our listeners are just interested what we think so mm-hmm. i'm i've just never really had thoughts on it until no. or until now
0: i don't feel you've ever done anything like that mm-hmm. i feel that sometimes i have ah okay and so that being the case i want to make more of a concerted effort not to do that sometimes i may miss the mark even from this point forward because obviously this is a habit i need to break but call me out if i do you know <laughs> okay. say well hold on hold now is that just your opinion on something
1: i guess thinking Inglorious Glorious Bastards, all the people complaining about it not being historically accurate and then needing to remind them this this is a movie. It's not real. And oh, who was it? Um, I can't remember who did a painting of the Mona Lisa and painted a mustache on it. And the art world went hysterical and said, how dare you deface the Mona Lisa? And he said, I didn't deface the Mona Lisa. This isn't the Mona Lisa. This is something I painted. Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a a real point to understanding that there's an intent in art. Even if you disagree with the intent, you should be able, in a critical way, to say that, okay, this is not something that I would necessarily appreciate or like, but what they were trying to do, they succeeded. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's something that, as a reviewer, I want to try to make more of an effort to remember. And I think what's really driven this home is that there are review channels on YouTube and other places as well that you go through their back catalog, and all it is is videos of people just basically hate-watching and complaining about stuff that they claim to like. And I see this a lot, and I've really, really noticed it. It was back in May where I did an entire detox of being online. I didn't Mm -hmm. uh, watch videos. I didn't go on social media. It
1: was like a dry October of technology.
0: Very much so. Mm -hmm. And I noticed now that I've kind of gotten back into social media a little bit, not as much as I was before, I think a lot of things really stick out. And YouTube channels of people who claim to be enthusiasts and fans of certain art forms that seem to do nothing but complain about it, or they'll do a live stream and get a bunch of their friends together and they'll all complain.
1: They should take a page out of Joel Robinson and Mike Nelson's book. Like, yes, these are bad, but we can can find the beauty in the bad. And, you know, so many movies on Mystery Science Theater 3000, bad movies, but they got a fan following and a brand new life you know and reborn
0: now that i have set out my goal for reviews let's test it out and see how how well i do and let's talk a little bit of black widow now have have you had a chance to go out and see it i have not no okay so i know you don't tend to mind spoilers that much how spoilery can we get oh well
1: we know she's gonna die so
0: (laughs) well see if you'd seen it you would have realized (gasps) that they they changed it
1: (gasps) did they oh awesome in the
0: post credit scene, that's what they did. They Yay! they co- fully rewrote it. Uh, no, not exactly. Oh, but <laughs>
1: got my hopes up. Someone was at the bottom of the cliff and caught her. And
0: Well, you know, anything is possible now. In the multiverse of madness. Which we will mm-hmm. we'll definitely get to that. But let yeah. me, I do want to talk about my experience going to see Black Widow. Because it's not just the movie itself. It's the actual experience. Because this is the first movie that I've seen in a theater in over a year oh, wow. at this point. Uh, The last film that I saw was Birds of Prey and Mm. the redemption of uh, of one Harley Quinn, whatever that fantabulous. I forget what the whole title is. I Mm -hmm. I don't remember. But I went with my cousin who was in town. She went uh, with me to the theater and we went to see Black Widow. And what surprised me was the place was packed. I mean, we were really it was late going. We had to catch like a nine o'clock in the evening showing. The theater wasn't full by any stretch of the imagination, but there was a good chunk of people there. And the theater itself, the lobby and everything, there were people just pouring out of the different theaters, and there was a ton of people there. It was like the pandemic never happened, (laughs) which was awesome. (laughs) Black Widow did really, really well. And One thing we talked about before is that, obviously, the studios were going to be looking at, well, how well is this thing going to do? Because Mm -hmm. it's going to be in the theaters, and it's also going to be streaming Disney+, and how is that going to pan out and the way that it pretty much panned out is ultimately black widow made 200 million dollars total it did pretty well in the theaters it broke records for this year fantastic it's not the biggest opening ever but again you know you had options so mm-hmm. the people who stayed at home it made money people wanted to go see it in a the theater it made money it made money domestically it made money internationally so it worked really well all the way around. So the people who wanted the theater experience, they got it. The people who wanted to stay at home and watch it, well, they did. And so it did extremely well. So there's, you know, there's a good possibility that we may find ourselves in a situation now that we can either go to a theater and watch a movie or we can pay money and watch it at home. We have that choice. We have that as an option either way. If it's profitable for the studios, obviously theaters are going to want people to have to come to the theaters to watch movies, obviously, because they don't make any money from the streaming side of things. But if it's profitable for the studios and it works out well, then this may be the model from this point forward. I mean, it's certainly going to be the model until pretty much the end of the year, I think, at least for Disney and maybe Warner Brothers, although I think there are releasing some some smaller films as theater only like a little film called space jam no. <laughs> well what was it free guy
1: yeah you sent me that trailer with Deadpool watching the free guy and Deadpool and Korg. he said I thought this came out <laughs> last year last year, yes. which
0: is funny because we were all thinking that's like wait a <laughs> minute that was that was last year's film and of course it got <laughs> it we, we it got lost in this mm-hmm. whole shuffle with with COVID and everything else but yeah the fact that you had Deadpool and you had Korg We had our first Marvel Cinematic Universe crossover with Deadpool, technically (laughs) speaking. At this point, I'm just wondering when Deadpool is going to wind up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's going to be the wild card for obvious reasons because he he doesn't really fit, does he?
1: That's the thing. He's the peg and he can make the hole fit. He can fit himself anywhere.
0: Oh, yeah. It will definitely be a breath of fresh air for sure. (laughs) As a character, Deadpool allows a view of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that you wouldn't get otherwise because he can be very self-aware and he can say things that you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe mm-hmm. that he said it. Because, I mean, even about this movie that they were viewing that Ryan Reynolds is in, mm-hmm. he made the comment about, "Wow, this seems fun in a uh, end of days, 20th Century Fox fire sale kind of way. <laughs> I was like, well, that's something Deadpool would say. <laughs> but getting back to Black Widow... I really, really did enjoy this film. I enjoyed seeing a Marvel movie again. I don't want to get in too much detail because for the one, things I, I do want to talk about about the film, for people who haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil things too much. And I'm, I may uh, wind up doing that anyway. So uh, let, let's just say it at this point, if you've not seen Black Widow and or Loki Put this on pause and come back when you haven't, because I think we're probably going to dip into spoiler territories for both of them anyways, just to be safe. I What I do want to say about Black Widow specifically, this movie, a lot of other people have said it, and I'm going to have to agree with them. This is a movie that should have happened a long time ago. There have been some people who have said, well, the only reason this movie even got made is because people have been complaining that Black Widow didn't have her own vehicle. Everybody else seemed to be getting theirs, and this is long overdue, which I definitely agree with. Now, would I have preferred a Black Widow television show? I wonder. I enjoyed the movie, And if if they could come up with enough story to do a television show, I would have liked that as well. I think that for the length of the story and what they were trying to tell, I think that the movie managed to do it succinctly and and very well. And one thing that I've heard a lot of complaints about the movie is that there's no real character arc for Black Widow. Natasha Romanoff, she's pretty much the same character from the beginning to the end. On a technical aspect, not that I'm going to start harping on critics again, because I think I've done that enough, I think one thing that some critics have done is they've read enough story theory that they hear buzzwords, and so they feel like they can say certain things with a certain authority to them. Specifically in this situation, character arc. They've heard about character arc. Your protagonist should change during the course of a story.
1: Yes, that was in Film Writing 101.
0: Right. Yes. But that's not 100% true.
1: There are exceptions. There are
0: absolutely exceptions. For example... How much of a character arc does Indiana Jones have in his film? Not much of one. James Bond, 007, does he have a character arc? No.
1: When he does, people don't like it. Was the Roger Moore, the one where he had a wife and she died and he uh, cried? George Larrabee. Was it George Larrabee? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and people didn't, there was a, their least favorite because, you know, he cried and like he's, he was too human. He was, he was too-, too human. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, you can tell a story with a story arc, have the protagonist go through a change and tell a story that way. Is it the best way to tell a story? Well, it depends on the type of story you're trying to tell. There is as much validity in telling a story where there's not a story arc than say that there is. For example, say that you are telling a story about a particular uh, virtue. Let me just make up a story. Say you have like a person who works for this company and they have worked really hard, they've been promoted several times, they're very good to their employees, they're very straightforward, you know, they're very moral, the way they treat other people, they're very conscientious about it. And they keep getting promoted and promoted and promoted, and eventually one day they get promoted as a CEO. And then say, you know, that's the, that's the start of the story, that's the, uh, well, if we wanna use storytelling terms, we'll call that the inciting incident of the story. Is that they get promoted to to a CEO. And once they get promoted to CEO, they're told that, look, we know how you got here, but being a CEO is a whole different thing. You know, you can't treat people nicely if you're going to be a CEO. This is a whole different job set for you. You need to, if you're going to make an omelet, you're going to crack eggs. If you're going to do this job well, you need to treat people a little more ruthlessly. You're not going to get away with being the nice person that got you here. And say they don't change and they suffer for it during the course of the story. There are certain things that become harder for them because of the fact that they're honest, and they treat the people that work for them well. But at the end, the situation turns out that they're better off, the company is better off. And so if that's the type of story that you're wanting to tell. If you're wanting to take a virtue and highlight it, then the whole point of the story is your protagonist doesn't change. They stay steadfast. You want to highlight this virtue, so you put A character with that virtue in a situation where it seems like dropping that virtue would be in their best interest and they don't and by the end of the story they're better off for it and so the whole point of the story is that there is no arc that this virtue does have merit and that's the point of the story and so that's as much a valid method to tell story as having a character who is mistaken about something that they believe in and through the course of the story they realize that they've made a mistake and they changed. Either way you can tell a story and one of them isn't necessarily better than the other one. A screwdriver is not any better than a hammer, but if you got nails you want to use a hammer and if you got screws you want to use a screwdriver. So depending on the type of story that you tell will determine the method of telling that story. And so when I hear people say, "Well, Scarlett Johansson's character didn't have a story arc." That doesn't bother me Because the whole point of that story is the fact that her dedication, her loyalty, when everything in the, around her tells her everybody has betrayed you, they're trying to hunt you down because you basically stuck with... Steve Rogers and made a moral choice you know now she's on the run because of it she is constantly being put in a situation where paying off her debts and being loyal to people is constantly being tested and so the whole point of the story isn't that she changes but that she doesn't change in fact there's one scene in this story where we have the taskmaster And a lot of other people complained about the Taskmaster because the Taskmaster, and this is going to be a spoiler, but the Mm -hmm. Taskmaster turns out to be somebody from Natasha's past. She was sent to kill somebody who uh, was the head of the Red Room, which was this organization that basically created her and mm-hmm. these other black widows. In
1: the ballet school.
0: She basically made a pretty ruthless decision because the plan, and this was her and Hawkeye. This was the whole talk about Budapest. Mm-hmm. And so they were going to basically blow up an entire building to get this guy. And this guy's daughter shows up and it's her call whether to blow the building. And she makes the call to go ahead and do it. And, you know, it's like, well, she's just going to be collateral damage. Well, it turns out that he lives, but it also turns out that he turned uh, his daughter, who, who had survived, although horribly injured, into the Taskmaster. Mm, okay. And so the main villain was basically this character that Natasha is directly responsible for mm-hmm. because of what she did. And there's a scene that people just absolutely freaked out about. There was a scene where the Taskmaster was trapped in a cell when the Red Room, which, again, another spoiler, is this floating citadel mm. that's getting ready to crash because they've sabotaged the engines and they're getting ready to, to crash this thing. Natasha finds the Taskmaster who's trapped in this cell as this thing's going down and knowing full well that the Taskmaster is going to attack her because she can't help it. Taskmaster is literally programmed as a fighter. Mm-hmm. And even if she didn't want to attack Natasha, she can't stop herself. There's a lot of, like, brainwashing. Manchurian and mental, Candidate, yeah. Lots of that going on. Queen of Diamonds. Yeah, that's a huge part of this. And knowing what's going to happen if she lets the taskmaster out of the cell, she does it anyway. And people got upset with it. Why in the world would you do that? Well, that's the point of this. She knows what she did, how responsible she was for the taskmaster in the first place, and knows that even though it's going to make her situation more difficult... She knows what the right thing is to do, and she does it. And by the end of the movie, the Taskmaster is freed from her programming. So it was the right choice. And people kind of forget the end of that. You know, mm-hmm. Some people are like, that was stupid. Why did she do that? Because it was the right thing. And is also the reason, again, why Black Widow doesn't have a character arc. Because the point isn't the fact that she changes. The point is that she doesn't. That's the point of the story. Mm-hmm. Her belief in loyalty, and family... In doing the right thing, even when it makes things difficult for her, uh, very difficult in many cases, she still does it. I really enjoyed where they went with it. It was a, a short little visit to a character that was well overdue and we did get to, like I said, we got to see a lot of callbacks on certain things. Now, was the movie perfect? Are there things about it that maybe I would have done a little differently? Yeah, I think so. I will say that Natasha's sister, played by Florence Pugh, was amazing. Mm. And we are definitely going to see her again. Okay. Because now... She's also a Black Widow, right? She is a Black Widow, okay. yes. And she winds up getting deprogrammed toward the beginning of the movie. Mm. So she gets caught up into something, and of course Natasha comes out of hiding. But Florence Pugh is amazing. I mean, I liked all the performances. they were They were really good. But there's this scene when they, because they're trying to find the Red Room... They need their father's help. And so they bust him out of prison. And the Red Guardian makes a comment to Elena about, you know, why are you so upset? And makes a feminine comment, are you? And she goes, (laughs) we don't have those anymore. They were torn out of us. And Elena was, and she gets really graphic with it. She, she, (laughs) They went in and they cut everything out. And then they just ripped it out. (laughs) And she's, she was kind of making a joke about it. And I'm like, Okay, there. I get the point. <laughs> um, it seemed weird to me that it was my from first flush. I was like, wow, that's just weird that they were kind of jokey about that. Uh, because I don't know if you remember a bit of the controversy from a Civil War where Natasha talks about the fact that she had been sterilized, it was upsetting to her, mm-hmm. and she referred to her as, as a monster because of it. Mm-hmm. And people are like, Look, just because a woman can't have kids, that doesn't make her a monster. Mm-hmm. And people got really upset about that. <laughs> and now people are getting upset about how jokey it seemed, the way Elena described this whole situation, like it was no big deal and it was jokey and that was too far in the other direction. And at first flush, I could I could kind of see why that would be the case. But I also know human nature. That's a, how
1: we deal with trauma. Yes. Is we, making it funny. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's
0: black humor. And so... Yep. Thinking about it a little bit, I was like, yeah, that was kind of nuts. But it's like you say, it, that's how we all deal with trauma. We we turn it into black humor. And so from that, I felt like that was a little more appropriate. But I, I loved all the performances. I thought the story was pretty good. I can understand why some people were upset about the gender swapping of Taskmaster. A taskmaster mm-hmm. And that does change the character in a huge way. And not just because of the gender, but because of the backstory. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be a character that does a lot of the stuff that the comic book Taskmaster...
1: I don't mind it in the sense that we can still be surprised if we are going straight out of the comics. We know exactly what's going to happen, which, you know, it's okay. But, I mean, even Stephen King has said about The Mist, they had a better ending than I did. Getting stuck on your source material it isn't always the best. That way, the fans still have something to look forward to and be surprised by. So, I'm
0: okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I definitely want to talk about as far as Black Widow, and this was something that uh, we discussed last week about how this whole idea about the difference between the television series as compared to the movies have changed, and nothing was more indicative of that than the post credit scene. The post credit scene basically has Yelena visiting Natasha's gravesite. After all of this, we were like, oh, yeah, that's right, she wound up dying. Mm-hmm. Yelena visits natasha's grave site
1: it's just a memorial right though yes yeah, it's, we it's, didn't get her body back did we
0: it's probably a, a memorial they okay pro- yeah unless you I'll know. have
1: to go watch uh, I, watch I, Endgame I, again to make sure that i not, didn't think we got her body back
0: of course black widow was supposed to come out before falcon and the winter soldier and so we did in this post-credit scene val shows up
1: julie louis drive yes, yes. Mm-hmm. okay
0: that was supposed to be something that we saw first, and then we saw Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It really doesn't affect anything that we see her here, okay it It does change things a little bit because I mean, obviously we know who she is, and that's fine because it. Although it changes the flavor of that meeting, as far as what we know about her, it does make things a little bit different, but I think it actually improves it. I think it is okay. better that we, we got this post credit scene after we got Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think it actually works out better. Okay. But basically, um, Val shows up, and apparently Elena has been working for her for a little while, apologizes for interrupting her with her sister, but he says... How would you like a crack at the guy who killed her? (laughs) Okay. So she takes out an iPad mini and shows Elena a picture of Clint Barton. Mm Mm-hmm. And so... Ronin. Yes. Mm. Well, what I find interesting about this is basically what we have done is we have taken a movie to set up a TV show. Yep. Because Hawkeye. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, Florence Pugh's going to be in Mm -hmm. Hawkeye, so we know why she's going to be there.
1: Yeah, and uh, just like Marvel has now used a TV show to set up a movie. (laughs)
0: Yes. Since you brought it up, let's go Mm -hmm. ahead and, you know, like I said, I really enjoyed uh, Black Widow. Definitely check it out. Even if, uh, like I said, you've listened to all the spoiler reviews, there's still a lot of great stuff in there. And, you know, I I didn't talk about the pig. Oh, that was horrible. But let's talk (laughs) about Loki. Let's talk about... Specifically, episode six, mm-hmm. but I do want to talk about the whole series yeah. because what a journey in six episodes! Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about how it felt at the beginning to how it feels at the end, the narrative path it changed so much. And talking about character arc, in some cases, character arc is a good thing. And wow, did we get a character arc out of this story? Yep. <laughs> in six episodes, the character arc feels earned. Mm-hmm. I mean, Loki is completely a different character. And at the end when of this.
1: Loki says to Sylvie, after all this time, and thinking it's just been a few hours,
0: it feels <laughs> that way.
1: And they they're crossing all over time, so but. Yeah, it's like you've just known each other a few hours, and after all this time, that was clever.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's one thing, of course, in episode five where Loki says, look, I've been running around for hours, days, months, years. Mm -hmm. I don't know how time passes anymore. For us, it's like, yeah, it's a few hours, but the fact that we're not allowed to binge this and it's taken us a month and a half to get there... Which is, you know, some people are like, just put the whole thing out. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I I really do like having this opportunity where they can cliffhang you and which they constantly did Mm -hmm. and make you go, no, don't stop it there. And then you got to wait a week. It's like
1: Friday uh, on a soap opera. (laughs) You have to wait two days. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. I I love the fact that that we have that and we have something to look forward to. And that gives us a week to, to think about different things. But... Yeah, we had this major character arc with Loki and to some degree also with Sylvie. But here's the funny thing, because again, we were talking about previously television and movies, they didn't have any similar continuity, but then Marvel kind of did. It wasn't a strong continuity because you had Kevin Feige in charge of the movies and you had somebody else in charge of the TV. And so they talked to each other and they sometimes hinted to each other to a degree, but in a sense, they kind of had their own continuity. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much did their own thing, but now with Disney+, Plus, you have this really strong continuity, and you have the fact that they support each other. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about Episode 6. Again, we're getting into spoilers, so if you haven't seen this... The funniest thing that i had been seeing all over the place was, is episode six going to Mephisto us? <laughs> and some people were saying, yeah, they're about ready to make that mistake in Mephisto us. The whole deal with everybody was looking forward to seeing Mephisto mm-hmm. in WandaVision and we didn't get it. Now everybody's talking about Kang the Conqueror. And of course, they're not going to do Kang the Conqueror on a TV show. This is going to be one of their, <laughs> this is going to be the main villain, phase four, <laughs> possibly phase five. They're not going to bring out Kang the Conqueror on this tv show they're going to indicate him sure but they're not going to bring him out (laughs) and god help me they exactly there he was (laughs) there he was there's jonathan majors the (laughs) guy who they cast as kang the conqueror who's going to be in ant-man and the wasp Mm -hmm. quantumania and kang was one of those characters that a lot of people said well they're not going to bring him into the mcu anyway because he's so op it's just too big a character you're not going to be able to get away with it and here he is.
1: There they are. Mm-hmm. And
0: and they introduced him in a TV show.
1: Yeah, and I don't know much about Kang. I barely remember him from maybe a couple episodes of the animated spider-man series from the 90s that's about all i remember so i had to do some research on him to figure him out and gosh when loki is running through you know what we think is the tva and he runs into morpheus and morpheus says now wait what's your name and oh it's so heartbreaking brian and we think "Uh, he's not going to get on his jet ski and it's (laughs)
0: <laughs> he may not even like a jet ski. <laughs> there were little indications that he wasn't in the same TVA. Mm-hmm. One of them I noticed, uh, one of them that you noticed, mm-hmm. the one that I noticed was that Casey, the the mousy analyst, had become a hunter in this new version. Mm-hmm. And you noticed it wasn't called the TVA. TVA, um- uh, S Y A. S Y A. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I don't know what that stands for. And yeah, when he's looking up and he's looking over and seeing the big, huge Kang statue, uh, very, very idol-like.
0: Kang the Conqueror. Kang the
1: Conqueror, and there it was. Yeah. You know,
0: in the very uh, suit, the armor that he wears in the comics. Uh huh. You know, except for that, he wasn't wearing his little helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, but since you say you don't know that much about Kang, he is a descendant of Reed Richards. He is a scientist. He is a time traveler. He is someone who has, in the past, worked with a lot of his variants.
1: Oh, I did see one thing about him, and uh, I hope they change it, like they changed it for Thanos, that at one point in time, he wanted to destroy the Avengers to impress his girlfriend. Like, <laughs> oh, just like Thanos wanting to kill half the universe oh, in yeah. order to impress his girlfriend. I was like, oh, I hope they change that. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, you know who his girlfriend is <laughs> in the comics? Ravonna Renslayer.
1: Oh, um, Judge Judge Renslayer. Yes. Oh, really?
0: That was one of the tip-offs that Kang, uh-huh. that Kang was involved. Yes. Ravana Warren is out of the comics, and she is Kang's girlfriend, and in okay. in, in the comics, actually impersonated him at one time. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and everything. So.
1: So what, she was kind of open ended in at the end of episode six, right? We we don't really know. Well, what she happened she basically with her. yeah
0: she disappeared. Appear- yeah. Apparently, something that Kang sent her. Mm-hmm. Sent her basically a message, made her pack up her stuff. Yeah, because we, temp- yeah. we saw
1: her as the teacher. Mm-hmm. And then next thing, she's just gone. Yeah. She, yeah.
0: She packed up her stuff mm-hmm. after she disarmed Mobius and took mm-hmm. the pruning mm-hmm. stick. And he asked her where she's going. And she has to find free will. And she disappears. So, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the season two might yes. explain some of that
1: so excited and uh, i love that post-credit stamp yes loki will return and again it's so bureaucratic so paperwork so anachronistic a such a futuristic uh place we have these very anachronistic
0: old yeah. fashioned
1: technologies
0: you know I, let me tell you you know what the one thing that really got me about episode six the one thing that i love the most it was that moment when loki and sylvie were fighting you know this fight and this Figuring out, do we kill Kang or not? Mm -hmm. I love that because of the fact that it's not a simple answer. Mm -mm. You've got two really bad choices. Either allow him to continue doing what he does or kill him and cause this war to start up again. And now we have thousands upon thousands of Kangs and some of them pretty freaking evil. Mm -hmm. So there's not a clear cut, correct answer to any of this. Mm -hmm. You know, Loki feels a certain way about this. His view is very similar to, I don't know if you're familiar with with the Aesop's Fable. It's a fox who gets caught in a river Mm -hmm. and is trying to pull himself out of the river, but can't. Mm -hmm. And a crow comes along and says, I'm not strong enough to pull you out, but at the very least, maybe I can eat some of the ticks off your back that are drinking your blood. Mm. And the fox says, no, don't, because they are now sated with blood. If you eat the ticks, new ones will show up and they'll be thirsty. Hmm. basically, a moral tale about, yeah, sometimes politicians are corrupt, but if you get rid of them, worse. you just oh. you could replace them with corrupt, hungrier oh, okay politicians mm-hmm. and that was the situation that Loki was looking at. It's like he's bad, he's definitely a villain, but well, we don't uh, want
1: something worse,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. we don't want something worse, and it amazed me how many reaction videos that I watched after watching Loki. Of people having these existential arguments (laughs) about whether that person, you know, they should have killed that person off or not. Mm -hmm. People that you wouldn't think would be having existential arguments, but they are. (laughs) And I love that. Mm -hmm. But the one thing about episode six that I love the most was after this fight and Sylvie's going in for the kill and Loki goes right in front of her and she's holding that sword to his neck. Mm -hmm. And he tells her, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want a throne. The next thing that he says, everybody is like, oh, he's going to say that he loves her. And then the script takes it up a complete (laughs) notch and says, I just want you to be okay." (laughs) That, to me, was so good because there was a path that you figured it was going, Mm -hmm. a very cliched path. But the fact that instead of saying how he felt, he expressed concern about what she felt, said more about how much he loved her Mm -hmm. than he would have said if he'd said, I loved you. That was next level screenwriting brilliance. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that and I was blown away. It was so sublime and it said more about Loki's character Mm -hmm. than anything else. He said, I love you in a way that it was absolutely undeniable. If he said, I loved you, that could have been a lie. Mm -hmm. The thing he thought to say was, I want you to be okay
1: no matter what I have to go through. Yeah. yeah it's like, I just
0: want you to be okay. That mm-hmm. meant he was thinking about her yeah. instead of himself. That was one of the most brilliant things, I think, in the entire episode. It was such a small thing. It was so well-crafted, well-thought-out. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely perfect. And I love that. <laughs> That's why I, this is probably my favorite of the Marvel shows mm-hmm. so far, I would say. Because there was so much that it did. And it did so well. Yes. With six episodes... To have such a massive change in a character, but it, I'm completely bought into it. It makes absolute sense, and I can definitely see it. They didn't fast-forward through it, and they didn't ask you to suspend disbelief. This is a character change that makes absolute sense. And you see this growth through the course of the story, which is it's just fantastic, and look how much stuff it's set
1: up—movies and season two—and yeah. well, for the I mean so the, the next TV
0: on. show that's coming up is What If, mm-hmm. which is all alternate reality. Yes. So you've literally so you've totally set up for that, mm-hmm. and of course, Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. If you've been following that, that's supposed to be a multiverse story. And then, of course, we get to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which it's in the title, y'all. Right. It's going to be mad. And then after that, then we get Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which, mm-hmm. again, we have Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror. He's, right. We already knew he was cast. Mm-hmm. And that's why seeing him in Loki was such a surprise.
1: Right. And we haven't seen this Kang yet. We've seen the uh, quote, unquote, benevolent Kang. Now we're going to see an Evil Kang what's going to happen next.
0: If you've followed him in the comics, you know that this is a serious messed up character. (laughs) He's capable of pretty much anything. Again, because of the fact that he gets to read the script before anybody else because he's a time traveler. Mm -hmm. He is one of the biggest, most dangerous villains in the Marvel Universe Mm -hmm. anywhere. And the fact that they are introducing him after a lot of people, myself included, thought... There's no way. There's no way you could bring him in. He's just way too overpowered. It's He's too it's, huge. It's mm-hmm. too big. It's, it's it's too massive. But again, I never would have thought you'd have been able to do this with the Infinity Gauntlet, and they did. Mm-hmm. And so, I tell you,
1: I, I want to see Mojo. I really do. <laughs> what they could make that character with mocap right now and this multiverse everything that we could bring in i, I really want to see mojo
0: oh yeah i, <laughs> I definitely want to see <laughs> maybe
1: josh gad i'm not sure
0: yeah that <laughs> that's pretty inspired i have <laughs> to say <laughs> loki was fantastic six episodes <laughs> of really great television and now I don't even say what if as a palate cleanser because it's going to be different. But the thing about it is now that they have opened this up, it's like all these different things have happened now. The, the, the timelines have split. Anything is possible. And so that gives you the opportunity to tell all of these stories. And we've only gotten a hint the type of stories they're going to be having in this uh, new series. They can go anywhere now. Everything is possible. They have opened up the world. Oh, this is going to be an interesting year. And with that said, we come to the end of Episode 116 of the Geek Watch Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, check in next time for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. For Manny Petri, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch podcast is a Hanging J production.